back to another episode of Puck and Ball Talks. This is your host, Brad. Over as usual, the controls is Devin. Hey, how's it going? We're diving back into our sort of continuing series on the uh, Delphi uh, murder case up in Carroll County in Indiana. We've got um, some crazy information for you guys. Yeah, it's taking some, some, some unusual turns here recently. So It sounds unbelievable, but the more I've dug into it, the more I'm starting to maybe give a little credence to it. Especially, I mean, granted, I know a defense attorney is supposed to throw anything they can at the wall, but the language makes it seem like they truly believe this stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, in, yeah, we'll dive into the, all the details of it. for Just as a quick summary, I think most of our listeners know this involves the two young ladies that were on the trail. Libby German and, and Abby. Abby Williams, was it? Oh, my gosh, we should, we should know that. But it's Abby and Libby. Yeah. Um, they're, you know, killed on trail up in uh, Delphi in Carroll County, um, was under investigation for, gosh, I think three or four years before they, um, made an arrest. That's Richard Allen, who's the current defendant in the case. Um, and I think, you know, as we're talking through this, the, what the defense is doing and some of the strategies that are employing, I think one of the things you'll, you'll sort of get a sense of is this is what it is is can be a risk of having an investigation that goes on for so long um, is an opportunity for law enforcement to make mistakes that the defense attorney can can come back. Now, whether this is a mistake or an intentional, I mean, mistakes aren't intentional. So it makes me think that these aren't mistakes. They intentionally did some mistakes. Right, and that's certainly allegations by the defense is that, yeah, mistake was not, not the right word to use there is that, some of this was intentional or deceptive, misleading, yeah. all those kind of things. Um, There's been a bunch of court filings, and so this will talk about all of them. And we're going to talk about them in the order that they happened. Um, and, you know, some of these will be insignificant. Some of these will just help you learn, you know, more about the court process. And then there's specific things that are filed that we will specifically go in depth in, like the Frank's Memorandum. Um, or, you know, like a broadcast order, motions to suppress. So... In the last six weeks, really since like uh, August now, we're getting into October, Richard Allen's attorneys filed a litany of documents, and they offer a different explanation or theory as to what happened to the young girls, Abby and Libby. You know, originally, or, or the the going, you know, story is that Richard Allen killed them. Right, and from a defense attorney's perspective, um, you know, when, when you have a homicide case, you've got some different strategies you can employ in terms of what your defense is going to be. Sometimes, like this case, it's a whodunit. When it's a whodunit, you're going to try to sow seeds into the into the case to show that somebody else might have done it, and that there's possibilities that uh, somebody else did it, and that usually you're going to. And what the defense is definitely uh, going to start building in their case here is that the police gave up on a really uh, valuable lead without actually fully investigating it, and missed the real person that did this. And that's yeah. that, that's one of the things you a very common defense is that. He didn't do it. Um, I will say, as I was going through these court documents, they were actively getting sealed, like as I'm looking at them. So I was able to get quite a bit of juicy information before it all got sealed, but this may not be the 100% full picture just because right. there was 163 documents that were sealed. And, I mean, I got really lucky and then I downloaded a lot of it to my computer just because it automatically does whenever you're reading the file. Um, but there were some things I weren't able to get to in time. But from that, we and from you know the news articles and everything, we were able to paint a, a better picture than what just the court filings give you. Yeah, the defense theory is starting to become a little bit more 
clear in this. And one of the things you learn as an attorney that does criminal law, any trial law actually, but especially criminal law, you have to have a theory of your case. And there's some sort of, the prosecutor's going to have a theory, defense is going to have an, an alternative theory. In this case, the, the alternative theory is going to be that there's another individuals or group of individuals that actually committed the crime. You know, in another, in another case where it's not a whodunit, where you know who did it, you know, then the defense might be a self-defense type claim. Right. Where you're going to argue that um, you're justified in your actions. Um, probably the most common um, defense in a, in, a, in a homicide case is, is I didn't do it. And, right. And, and it's one thing to argue I didn't do it. It's another thing or a nice tool when you have a defense that there's evidence somebody else might have done it. Because then – right. You know, juries and their very natural. Um, well, because there's, there's only two defenses you can have: either I didn't do it, or I was um, vindicated in doing it because of some other reason. Right? Yes. Yeah, there was a basis for me to do it, and it was lawful. Um, and and in a situation where you're saying I didn't do it, it's one thing to have a case where you're just saying, "All right, the state didn't have enough to show I didn't do it." It's another thing to say I didn't do it, and hey, here's some pretty good evidence that somebody else did do it, which. Really is kind of shitty because you're just supposed to. You don't have the burden, right? But it, as we know in current, you know, current day justice system, you have to. You are guilty until proven innocent. Well, there's definitely you. You are. You lose jobs. You lose housing just off uh, a charge, not a conviction. So you are guilty until proven innocent, and the burden of proof is on you. So it really, I mean, you would think that you have no basis. You you have you are not obligated to. Tell the state who did it and why it wasn't you. You can you can say why it wasn't you, but it's like these attorneys are now doing the job of what the investigators should have done. Right? No, and 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 one of the things you're going to attack when you're got uh, who when you have a who done it case, and you think all right, they don't have enough to show that he did do it, but it's kind of you know yeah, you don't have the burden, but it's nice as a defense attorney to have some evidence to say not only did I not do it here's who probably did do it, or here's the a group of individuals, somebody of which was responsible for doing it, and the police never fully looked into it. And they the police knew the about it. Yeah, yeah. They knew about it and dropped the lead. So we're definitely going to get more into that here in a second. But you know, like I said, we're going to talk about what was filed in order. So at first, Richard Allen's attorneys had submitted a broadcasting order request to allow news personnel and cameras in the courtroom during proceedings. And uh, at first, they didn't want... <laughs> You know, any news or cameras in the courtroom because it, it has the side effect of, you know, especially big cases, turning them into a showroom court. And think OJ Simpson. And, yeah, right. And the prosecutor has been a, super against that because he based the prosecutor and the attorney have kind of turned this uh, more personal against each other. And the prosecutor has been caught basically kind of shitting on the defense during court proceedings. And of course, the prosecution was against it because, you know, he said that they're just going to turn this more into a clown show and they're milking this for as much as they can and they're trying to catapult their their business into this. And so that that was submitted, and I think it was actually accepted last I saw. The So the broadcasting order, uh, there's been some there's been some media presence allowed. Uh, cameras in the courtroom, I don't think that specific issue has been decided yet, but I think that that allowing actual cameras in the courtroom is probably going to deny it. I think it's going to continue to be uh, news media presence at some level is allowed, but not not actual cameras in the courtroom. Cameras in the courtroom are a long debated subject in Indiana. It's still being um, 
tried out in different ways. Marion County went through a phase where it was um, allowed that both parties had to both agree to it. So rarely did that happen. Uh, Hamilton County is going through a process of trying that now in different cases. Um, and so that's it's something sort of in the, an exploratory phase in, in, in Indiana. But I would doubt, highly doubt that, a, that the judge is going to allow the cameras to actually appear um, in this uh, in this uh, in this case, so right. that sort of leads us into what the defense is alleging now in their motions to suppress and their follow up right. motions to that. Yeah, this one's a bit juicier. So they filed a motion to suppress the fruits of the search from Richard Allen's house due to failure to get accurate probable cause. So first, the attorneys claim that the sheriff made misleading statements to the judge to get the warrant signed, and that without these misleading statements, a warrant should have never been issued. And so. What they're what they're suggesting here is that they're entitled to a motion to suppress evidence because things were acquired sort of uh, in an unconstitutional way. So you're going to hear us talk about two different types of motions today. One's going to be uh, a motion to suppress, and another one's going to be a motion for Frank's hearing. They're inter, inter, intertwined with one another. Mm-hmm. So the the motion to suppress is is saying that something was acquired in an unconstitutional manner. Sometimes you're, you're contesting the stop. Sometimes you're you're contesting the acquisition of the warrant of a confession, or yeah, uh, or confession uh, and warrant, and then the, the, yeah, one of the one and what's being contested here is they're saying that the information that was provided to the um, law enforcement or to the judge who issued the uh, warrant was not um, accurate. And because that, the, the motion should be uh, yeah. granted. And yep. some of those things that they had said that they had found or had basis for were complete lies. They had interviewed uh, you know, witnesses, and they said that the guy was wearing a blue coat, and he was actually wearing a brown coat. So then they went back and changed the colors of the statement to say brown, that right. the witnesses said brown. Um, and there was evidence of that being changed. They also said that they found— These are the allegations the defense is making. Right. They also— but they, they claim to have found like it, uh, evidence of you know the police doing this. They also said that the police said that there was mud on the coat, or there was blood on the coat, but it was actually mud on the coat. Right, that the witness reported mud, but what was put in the probable cause affidavit for the search warrant, or was testified for the search warrant, was that it was blood. Right. And then, yeah, there was a discrepancy in the color of clothing that was described, and that's what partially led to the uh, search warrant to uh, search Richard Allen's home. Right. So so then second, the documents claim that the state failed to establish a crime had been committed before the search was conducted. You know, this was kind of this them throwing a dart at the wall and hoping it sticks, which they constitutionally can't do. They need to establish that you did a crime and that there's a basis for why they're going into your house before they go into your house. Third, the officers exceeded the co- scope of the warrant and went above and beyond which they were supposed to do slash and or get, which violated Richard Allen's Fourth Amendment rights. And then fourth, the affidavit never specified where the items for evidence were found or if they were even found within his house. Right. So the, the that's probably attacking the search warrant return to a certain degree. So what they're trying to allege in this search warrant is that at the time they went in front of a judge and said, here's a judge, here's the probable cause we have to be able to get a search warrant to go in and dive into Mr. Allen's home. Obviously, that's a, that's an important that's an important thing. You don't want the police to be able to just jump into a car, jump into a home, um, and search without really good evidence that they should be able to be there. That's not, you know, that's not the American way. We, uh, we believe in uh, protecting people's individual rights. 
and a freedom against illegal search and seizure is so We like to pretend we have the illusion of rights. Well, but it was it, it is an important thing, so important that the founding fathers put it in our originating documents, right? So it's it is supposed to be protected very very closely. Um, and so what they're trying to say here is, look, Judge, this officer that put these things in front of uh, a judge provided some pretty key pieces of information that weren't accurate, like yeah. blood versus mud. Yeah, That's and they pretty, claim that it wouldn't have been signed otherwise. Right, and. You know, seeing blood on a piece of clothing versus mud on a piece of clothing is a pretty pretty important distinction. And so if they um, have that distinction in there and, and the judge was to look at it and say, all right, well, yeah, this is potentially could have affected the decision that I made. Well, that discrepancy could lead to the judge doing excluding evidence that's considered uh, fruit of the poisonous tree. Sorry. Fruit of the poison tree, because if something's illegally gotten, then anything that is received after that, because of that illegally gotten information, should be excluded. That's what our that's what our case law says. Right. So on top of that, they also their attorneys, I mean, filed a, a Frank's hearing, and Brad's going to discuss what that is, and then we'll talk about what they said in the Frank's hearing. So a Frank's hearing, it's it's tied to. Um, uh, it's, it's tied to search warrants. So police misconduct. I'm going to read a little bit of case law that talks about what Frank's hearings exactly are. Um, the Seventh Circuit, which is the federal circuit court that oversees the Seventh District of the United States, which includes Indiana, um, observed that Fourth Amendment's strong preference for search warrants requires probable cause determinations to be made by a neutral and detached magistrate as opposed to an officer engaged um, in the often competitive enterprise of fettering out crime. The application for a warrant must provide the magistrate with a substantial basis for determining the existence of probable cause. A search warrant is not valid if police obtain it by deliberately or recklessly presenting false material information or by omitting material information from the affidavit presented to the issuing judge. Now, the purpose, and this is still quoting the case law, the purpose of a Frank's hearing is to give the defendant an opportunity to prove by a preponderance of the evidence either that falsity or recklessly uh, used evidence it was used in a material way. Wait, so it says you only need a preponderance of the evidence, which means that the bar for proving that is really low. But as case law has shown the bar for proving that is actually really fucking high. Well, that's to get to the f- actual hearing. So to obtain a Frank's hearing, a defendant need not prove the Frank's violation, but the defendant must oh, okay. make a substantial preliminary showing that the warrant application contained a material falsity or omission that would alter the issuing judge's probable cause determination and the affiant included the material falsity or omitted information intentionally or with reckless disregard for the truth. Okay. Now, um, that is would be additional evidence that the um, defense would try to show, and they, they, have, a, they have the burden of getting that uh, Frank's hearing. So they've asked for a Frank's hearing. So we've got... Um, we've got this initial motion to suppress that is saying, you know, hey... This warrant wouldn't have been issued because of this misinformation. Now they're uh, alleging that there is a Frank's uh, uh, that if it, it has reached a level where a Frank's hearing is necessary. 
So combined with this initial information where it's blood versus mud and there's some discrepancy over colors described of, of Richard Allen, they're now saying there's also evidence of this other, uh, the other evidence found at the scene that was omitted from the probable cause affidavit that also would have influenced the, the, the judge. And so, Judge, now at this point, we've got so much stuff going on here. We need to have this Frank's hearing to, to determine exactly what was going on. And this may right. be rising to the level of intentional or reckless. Uh, yeah. I mean, if the things that the attorneys say is true, then I definitely – it's intentional. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you what the exa- – like it's going to be a, a direct quote from what their attorneys are saying. And then we're going to read the actual – Frank's notice. And we're not going to read it word for word. You know, you don't want to hear all this extra language. That would be meaningless. And so the when we but, get into Frank's notice, it's a, it's a second notice. They yeah, this amended is the second. it and added additional information. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is their additional. So uh, when they filed the Frank's hearing, they said, on its face and within the four corners of the document, the affidavit for a search warrant was defective in that it did not provide the type of information that would cause any reasonable person to believe that it was more likely than not that evidence of the murders of Abigail Williams and Liberty German, I got both their names right. There you go would be found in Rick Allen's home or vehicles, especially more than five years after they were murdered. Because on its face and within the four corners of the affidavit for search warrant, no reasonable person would believe that it was more likely than not that the evidence of evidence of the murders of Abigail Williams and Liberty German would be found in Rick Allen's home. Therefore, all items seized pursuant to SETI legal search should be suppressed. However, making matters far worse, Detective Tony Liggett chose to hide crucial information from the search warrant affidavit and provided false statements in, in said search warrant affidavit. Rather than hiding said information from Judge Diener, had Liggett actually include said information within the affidavit for search warrant. The and judge, by the way, just real quick, Judge Diener is not the current judge. That was the judge yeah, prior to the charges. He, yeah, he ended up recusing himself. Right. Then Judge Diener most certainly would not have signed said warrant as the hidden and false information was the type of information that any reasonable person would have known was the kind of thing that a judge would wish to know. And that's referring to those discrepancies in the descriptions right, of Richard right. Allen's clothing, both color and mud versus blood. So on the defendant's additional Frank's notice, it said— and this is where the really interesting stuff right. kind of comes out. That, uh, that since filing the motion, the defense has received new discovery that strongly supports the defense's belief that Tony Liggett and Unified Command attempted to conceal from Judge Diener and has since even attempted to hide from the defense that evidence supports that those practicing Odinism were the murders of Abby and Libby. Specifically, Tony Liggett swore under his oath at August 8, 2023, deposition that a Purdue professor did not believe that the sticks found on Abby's and Libby's bodies consisted of runes. Side note, these sticks were placed on the body in a way that looked runic, and this is going to be something that you know, you're about to hear more of from a Harvard professor. Furthermore, Sergeant Jerry Holman swore under oath at his August 10, 2023, deposition that a Purdue professor said that the sticks found on the girls did not represent Odinism or any type of cult worshiping or any type of a group that would have conducted the crime. Because of the findings of this Purdue professor, the Unified Command claimed to have essentially abandoned the Odinism aspect of the investigation to the murders of Abby and Libby. In response to the defense request to depose this Purdue professor, on September 6, 2023, the prosecutor Nick McClellan told the defense via email, as stated before, we are trying to identify the Purdue professor, but no luck yet. Detective Holman has reached out to the FBI and Purdue and has not gotten a response yet. We will continue our endeavors but may not be able to identify him slash her. However, on September 19, 2023, the day after the Franks memorandum was filed where it was revealed that the Purdue professor was quote-unquote missing, and he puts, miraculously, Jerry Holman found the professor whose name is Jeffrey Turco and interviewed him. However, in the interview, Jerry Holman 
apologized to Turco for the three to four weeks that it took him, Holman, to sit down and talk with Turco. This means that Hoffman or Holman was aware of the Purdue's professor's identity since mid to late August, but nonetheless told Nick McClellan that Unified Command could not locate the professor, and furthermore that they may not ever or be able to find the Purdue professor. However, after it was obvious that the Purdue professor would probably out himself as the missing Purdue professor following the Frank's memorandum, Holman went and interviewed the Purdue professor that day after the Frank's memorandum was filed. So that shows they were obviously lying. Well, the information, I think, what the prosecutors will say in response to that is that the what he knew at the time was law enforcement was not able to identify the Purdue professor and that he hadn't been informed that they had identified him a few weeks before that. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, it's not the prosecutor who's the one that's on the hook. It's, no, they're attacking the police, police credibility here for sure. Right. So why would Holman and the Unified Command try to hide the name of the Purdue professor, even risking ridicule for the absurdity that they could not remember his name? The answer is obvious once the tape statement was played. Dr. Turco stated that after viewing the pattern of the sticks on the girls that it, it was a given that someone was trying to replicate a Germanic runic script. Furthermore, Dr. Turco, Turco consulted with a colleague from Harvard who had even more knowledge on the runes, and this Harvard professor was in agreement with Turco. Furthermore, Dr. Turco stated that Odinism is an extreme neo-pagan slash neo-heathenism ideology that has right-wing racist connotations. Furthermore, Dr. Turco stated that according to 19th century sources that Vikings practice ritual killings and sacrifices. And additional furthermore, Dr. Turco stated that although he could not necessarily interpret these runes, that the stick configurations were pretty clearly runic and that he could certainly imagine that this was somebody's idea that when you do human sacrifice, you carve runes. There are some poetic sources that would support that idea that somebody may have come across. That scenario seems entirely plausible to me. And this was from a, Turk, uh, a tape statement from Turco. Yeah, so you've what you have now at this point. Well, we have one more. Furthermore, Dr. Turcos discussed how runes were thought to have magical significance and would be used in incantations and rituals, and that there was a sacrificial connection in mythological poetry, and that these were things, again, where somebody who was sort of the Odin fanboy would lo- likely come across. Yeah, so you've got this um, situation where they've, they believe that the defense is saying they found that the police misled the um, court Either intentionally or recklessly, because either one applies. Right. By providing false descriptions of Richard Allen's clothing on the day of the event. Well, they outright say this. They say that they say it seems apparent by the timing of events that Tony Liggett and Unified Command knew the Purdue professor's name and wanted to hide his name and his findings from the defense as Turco's conclusion supported the defense and opposed the prosecution and Liggett's and Holman's sworn statements. Therefore, apparently in what seems like a complete harebrained scheme, Holtman and Liggett decided to claim that they did not know the professor's name, hoping that this would put an end of the, to the defense looking into the Purdue professor. However, once the memorandum made it clear that the pr- Purdue professor would certainly be found at some point in time, it took Holman one day to locate Dr. Turco and interview him about his findings in 2017. Yeah, so this is uh, now the second part of this where they said, okay, you've, you've provided information to the court in this search warrant for bad descriptions of clothing, but now we're talking about, as the Frank's uh, doctrine holds omissions. You're right. The, the omissions are, all right, and we're starting to learn a little more about this scene and why they were looking at different things and trying to keep things quiet as to what looked like the scene because there's some unique things about this uh, scene, this homicide scene that would obviously be unique to whoever was involved in this. Yeah, right. And so you've left out this search warrant that there were um, it, there's an allegation that the bodies were left in a, in a specific formation 
and also that there's uh, sticks or twigs that are placed on the body in a way that are symbolic of potentially Odinism. Now, I understand the mindset. Like, when I first saw this, I was like, what? These attorneys are out of their mind. Odinism, the shit that Vikings used to practice. Right, right. <laughs> a, a race, a, a group of people that are entirely dead and have been for a long time. I mean, unless you count, like, the Netherlanders as, you know, the, the, the descendants. descendants. <laughs> right. But when you have a Harvard professor, a Purdue professor, and then two respected attorneys who genuinely seem like they believe this. It's not just that we're hoping this sticks. It's they're giving outlined reasons on why they believe this is the case. Yeah, it's a it's a problem. This is a problem for the for the uh, law enforcement, and you've got them saying that the the professors would say this wasn't a sign of this, and now they're saying, "What do you mean? I didn't say that. I totally said it was a sign of this." And so now you've got another instance where they're alleging that law enforcement has been dis- dishonest in the information about what these these uh, professors said, and then concealing I- their identity, and then having previously concealed what their opinions were, and not just their opinions, that this evidence existed in the first place right. from the application for the search warrant. This is all this is all problematic stuff. Um, you know, I, I think the. Don't know how the court's going to rule on it. I th- they certainly, judges don't like this stuff, right? It, it's creating a massive appellate record, no matter how the court rules on it. Um, in addition to this, though, they are sowing the seeds of, a, of a, uh, a defense. I mean, that's what they're creating here. They're creating a situation where, um, hey, not only are there signs of the scene that some people that nobody's tied my guy, you know, my client to Odinism, not only only signs that seen that this was some sort of ritualistic practice. There's weird um, symbols that have no tie to our client. Then you tried to hide it. Yeah. And when you try to hide things, that's such meaty stuff for a defense attorney because you can sink into that stuff and jurors do not like deception. Now, keep in mind our last podcast. If you've been keeping up on this story or on our podcast and our last episode related to this, you would have known that. Uh, Richard Allen confessed to his wife six alleged, times. Alleged. We haven't alleged. Heard None of that evidence has been heard. Right. But that's, However, uh, that's what the prosecutors indicated in documents. That right. He, he confessed to his wife multiple times. But this upcoming information may that we're about to tell you may make it seem makes it start to seem plausible that he if he did give this confession, especially six times, which already seemed unreasonable, uh, could have been coerced or forced because after all of this, the, they also his attorneys filed for a transfer of custody from Westville Correctional Facility. The uh, this was denied by the judge, and the judge had already said before that Richard Allen's treatment was far better than any other uh, person you know in the same situation as Richard Allen. That normally would be that nor- yeah right. However, the attorneys refused that explanation on these multiple bases. The attorneys claim the conditions Richard Allen in is far harsher than what other inmates across Indiana experience. The court rebutted that statement and claimed that the defendant was actually treated more favorably than other inmates housed at Westfield. However, the attorney said it is not fair to compare Allen's treatment to those people who have already been convicted of things such as murder, rape, etc., and that he has been subjected to the worst possible solitary conditions. Quote, The unit he is currently in is designed and designated only for the sole purpose of segregating and punishing the most heinous offenders within our prison system. As a currently innocent man, he cannot be designated as such. His attorneys. This is what I mean when you're guilty... Before innocent, right? Right, and this this is a trick bag, you know, a, a situation for for the state. Not you know, taking sides on this, but 
when you have a high profile defendant like Richard Allen, um, putting him in a in a gen pop gen population is you know you're going to be crucified for that if he's hurt while he's in there because you know doing something to somebody like him makes you a mini hero inside the jail. So right. he's he's in danger just by the nature of who he is. So okay, you put him in solitary to protect him. Well, solitary confinement is a mental uh, that's it's torture. Yeah, it's a mental it's disaster. Pure torture. Uh, you know, I would just imagine taking yourself away from community or yeah. human interaction. And when you hear the rest of what they're doing to him, it's definitely torture. And the attorneys are again allegations, right? And the attorneys even theorize that they may be trying to get Richard Allen to commit suicide before his trial. Yeah, there's there's all types of allegations of overly harsh treatment, tasing him. Yeah, uh, which which is actually what we're about to get into. So. His attorney said, on top of everything else, that guards within the facility are part of the Sons of Odin, white supremacist fanatical group. So I want to take a second just to say Sons of Odin, this may be a spinoff group that there's not a lot of information on. Everything I could find information on was related to soldiers of Odin. So I just wanted, you know, if if, if I, every time we say that, you know, you're like, oh, well, that's wrong. That's why. Because now, there's not a lot of information about Odinism because it's right. such an ancient right. Uh, I don't know what you call it. It, uh, it would be a religion. Theology, religion, whatever. Right. Yeah, so if that's if, if you already know details about this and you're getting irked that we're saying Sons of Odin, what may it may be a real thing, but that's why. It's because all the court filings say Sons of Odin, although I it may be soldiers of Odin, and I can understand why the attorneys would get that or mixed up. Or just Odinism in general. Well, it's a it's a offshoot of Odinism. Right. Kind of like, you know, Catholicism, Protestantism is all Christianity, right? Right. Yeah. Odinism is like the overarching, right? So, and there's real apparently, from what little we can see out there, there's a real peaceful side. To yeah, yeah, too. there is. Right. It, you know, there's you're, there's opposite ends of the spectrum for every everything. everything you know right. what I mean? So the attorneys had this to say in regards to their inspection of Westfield Correctional Facility and what they found therein, because they actually went and inspected where Richard Allen has been being staying, uh, has been staying for multiple times too. These guys are going after it. Yeah. Let me just say that. During an initial visit, members of the defense team noticed patches on the uniforms of two prison guards. One of the patches said con- said to be consistently worn by a Sergeant Johnson said, in Odin we trust. They also observed patches with three interconnected triangles on other guards' uniforms, as well as prior mentioned Sergeant Johnson. And they claim that, due to quick and brief interactions, that it had been difficult to get a full picture or to corroborate the words on the patches. They claim that this Sergeant Johnson is one of the most, is, is the one mostly in charge of looking after Richard Allen and moving him around the building. There were videos that showed Sergeant Johnson tasing Richard Allen for not removing his hands from the handcuff port of the cell door. However, Johnson never once filled out a use of force checkoff form, as he felt like the taser never actually hit Richard Allen based on the recorded words between him and other jail personnel in the same video. So if you knew anything about a jail cell door, uh, there's a a sliding tray. Sometimes it's underneath the door, um, and sometimes it's in the middle of the door. It's meant to put food through and also so that way they can stick their hands out of it and they can handcuff them. And that way when they open the door, you know, the guy can't start beating on them and stuff. Right. Right. Uh, So he would have his hands throughout the door and they would tase him and shit. Like right there. That's the allegations that Fence said is part of the conditions. And there is video of it that they say. So that is something that we will eventually find out for sure or not. Uh, And so, yeah, with, with, with with the mistreatment, so it's very it's really become pretty clear what the what the defense is doing here, right? So now they're saying there's signs of Odinism at the scene of the crime, right? You've got these symbolic things, and now you've got professors that agree that that's what it is, right? Or at least that's what's being reported. 
you've got a individual being housed in a special way that isn't normal for how uh, defendants are housed pre-trial. Most, most defendants are housed in the county where it's charged in a, in a local county jail. Um, there are other high priority. There are other high notoriety cases where defendants have been treated like Mr. Allen in terms of providing them in a, a more secure facility. But then now you're tying this scene of the crime, this Odinism theme uh, at the crime, to a guard that is guarding him and, and making an allegation that you've got this guard guarding him, who now is perhaps at least what the defense I think is going to intertwine here, right. trying to make it a, a make. It, Richard Allen, the scapegoat for whoever was really there, yeah. because he's also tied to to the the people involved in this. And if scene. Richard Allen dies, it's all over with. So they're trying to make him kill himself. Well, the defense is going to use that as the explanation for why Richard Allen confessed in the jail, because he was under this pressure, being tortured by a person tied to the actual people that did this back at the scene. So his attorneys claimed that Allen was of no threat to anyone as he was securely locked in his cell and that the taser was unjustified, even if it didn't strike him, which it did according to Allen, that the report should have been filed anyways. I will say there's no way that he missed the taser unless he intentionally missed because it would have been very easy and he would have been a foot and a half away. So, well, well, it depends. We don't. There's not, a, there's not a complete detail here. So there's the prong tasers, there's the dry stun taser. Right, right. If it was a dry stun, which I would guess it probably was, um, they have to make actual contact with the, you know, the, the taser itself to the hand. It sounds like the video shows him putting it towards his hand, and their disc- the discrepancy is did he make contact with him or not. Uh, Even though he should have filled out yes. that use of force form regardless. According to the defense, yes. And, and you know, yeah, you're getting into the, the different policies. But what they're sowing here is that the law enforcement sort of throughout this entire pro- process are in on it. Hid the Odinism at the scene. Yeah then minimized what other people, experts in the field, said about it. And then you have a law enforcement person who, in one way or another, has become the primary caretaker of Richard Allen that's tied to all of the things that are back at the scene. Super interesting argument. Um, you know, really intriguing um, argument from the, from the defense. And then on top of this, you've got the defense alleging they also lied about other important factors like mud versus blood right, and the right. color of the clothing. So they're really they're they're gonna they're doing a multi-prong factor defense here, attack the investigation that's going to happen big time in this case, and also providing an alternative for who actually did this crime, and not only did law enforcement play a role in hiding this evidence about who they're going to allege actually did this crime, they stopped investigating it when despite. The reason they say they stopped investigating was because was the experts wrong. said right, yeah. there wasn't anything to it. And the experts are now saying, we didn't say that. Matter of fact, we said, yeah, it's consistent. Yeah, with that. literally the opposite. And then had a, a Harvard professor back it up. Yeah, so it, it, this is, we'll just say this. This is going to be a very interesting trial. I will be surprised if he makes it to trial and isn't killed beforehand. That's well, uh, so based on the things that we're going to continue saying. I I won't be surprised if they realize their luck is going to run out and that they're going to kill him. Well, let's hope let's hope that doesn't happen. That would be that would be such a mess for law enforcement. I mean, he's in their custody. Uh, if he ends up deceased in some way, that's going to be a complete disaster on their on their part. There is a second video that shows them tasing Allen in his cell once again after moving them around the jail. They claim that Richard hadn't moved fast enough for the guards' liking. Other inmates have corroborated the story as well, saying that the guards belittle him and make remarks to him constantly, calling him a kid killer. 
The guards and their supervisor said it was just harmless pranks and that the supervisor knew it was all going on, that he knew all of this, and he just referred to it as a harmless prank. In another video, the guards transport Allen to another part of the maximum security jail so that he can get a haircut. In the video, Richard Allen is shown handcuffed and being walked on a leash. In that same video, the officer walking him is shown to remove a patch off his uniform around the two-minute mark. It is claimed that the person recording the video made a gesture to the guard that was interpreted as him needing to remove his patch. And this is in quotes. One need not a degree in rocket science to know that staff members are attempting to conceal obviously unacceptable practices within the jail's walls. And that was a direct quote from Allen's attorneys. On repeated follow-ups to the jail, after the attorneys subpoenaed other guards, the same guards no longer had the patches on their uniforms. The attorneys claim it is more than a, it is, it is more than a coincidence that this timeline of events happened in the way that they did. And this is another direct quote. It appears that there were ties between the Carroll County Sheriff's Department and the West, Westville Correctional Facility, despite the issuance of the safekeeping order, which otherwise divested the Carroll County Sheriff's Department of its jurisdiction over the custody of Richard Allen. That is to say that the Carroll County Sheriff's Department has vested interest in Defendant Allen's continued incarceration in and amongst culture, which appears to be ripe with Odinistic connections. That's the tie they're, they're, they're making here. They're, they're, and, and this is going to And that's true. I mean, Carroll County should no longer have any concern over, or the Sheriff's Department of Carroll County should have no more concern over Richard Allen, yet they're still visiting the jail and following up with him when they were effectively relieved of the duty of taking care of him. Yeah, this is going to be such a um, field of minds for the court to have to navigate in terms of what is going to be admissible in this trial. Are we going to get Are we going to, I mean, certainly the way the body's found at the scene and if they were positioned in a unique way, if there were sticks positioned on the body in a unique way, I don't see any way that stays out of evidence. I mean, that's right. I mean, surely they have to show a picture of the body. That would be enough to show all the, that would have everything there in the picture. Yeah. The the evidence of the, what the professors provided probably going to come into evidence. Now all the stuff with the, the guards, um, you know, can they actually show those patches were there? Do they have direct evidence of it? That's going to be where I think it gets real murky and what, what the court will allow and whatnot. It should be noted that they, they've had a hearing on the treatment of uh, Richard Allen. As you mentioned before, the judges found that to be have been appropriate. So it, the stuff is out there a lot about what the defense has said. We haven't heard a lot of the responses. But as I just mentioned, the judge has ruled that he was being taken, not just taken care of properly, taken care of better than um, most similarly situated defendants. So, um, you know, it, it, yeah, we're hearing one side a lot of this stuff. But, um, you know, the defense theory or theme, if you will, is becoming very, very clear in this case. They're going to say um, incomplete investigation, investigation that jumped to conclusions. Uh, that was based on information they knew, this Odinism thing, these symbols found at this crime scene, are all present. And then they say, we stopped that because we were told by experts that it wasn't real, but then the expert are going to say, yeah, it was. So now you've got six years passed, and it's now just now coming to light that there was this pretty significant evidence found at the scene that was never really followed through to complete fruition. You know, that's a lot. There's a lot there for for the defense to work with. Now we haven't heard the alleged confessions to his wife. Um, you know how those come across. Does he sound stressed or does he sound like he's being earnest? All that stuff's going to make a difference to the jury too. But there's a lot going on here where you know this is the unfortunate part about not doing an investigation um, in, a, in a thorough way that is sometimes should happen. Right. You know, you should look under every stone when you're going to accuse somebody of murder. And it needs yeah. to be a, 
you know, the pressures of this case were extreme in terms of the pressure to find a, a culprit that went years without being solved in a rural Indiana town with young white female girls. There's a ton of pressure to solve this case. Yeah, this it, there, is not it's supposed to happen in these. Yeah, these tiny communities. I mean, this is a tiny rural community. You know, they don't make headline news that often. So moving on, they did. Uh, they actually deposed an outside Indiana State Trooper who, not necessarily related to this case, but deals with cases similar. Specifically, uh, he has served many years on a task force and as an undercover agent infiltrating hate groups within Indiana. They refer to him as Trooper X, and he was sought out and consulted by law enforcement investigators in this case for his slash her expertise with Odinistic practices and activities when within Indiana. So law enforcement reached out to them first. And during the deposition, Trooper acknowledged that Odinism consisted of two types, the good and the evil. Said Trooper further confirmed that he slash she was aware of the existence of the evil side of Odinism operating within the prison system in Indiana. And it had a transcript attached. Is it possible that Westville Correctional Facility has cleansed itself of any such prisoners in any activity of this sort? Not likely. How, moreover, to the extent there is an innocent explanation for the Odinistic content on the patches, it is not unfair to ask why guards would be permitted to advertise and promote the views of such radical hate group in an environment where inmates routinely associate with the very same evil belief system. And by extension, one might opine as to why guards assigned to Defendant Allen happen to be the very same guards advertising the Odinistic patches on their chest. And so this has pit the prosecution defense attorneys against each other, and like I said at the very beginning, in a way that far surpasses the typical interactions in this type of case. Oh, for sure. Now they're getting personal. During the ruling on the gag order to not allow media within the courtroom for proceedings, the prosecutors pointed to defense's inflammatory language and in basic layman terms said the defense is fucking crazy. Because of, the, because of this, the prosecution does not want media within the courtroom to prevent it from devolving more into a circus. So that's all the information we have related to the specific court filings. Who are the sons of Odin? So, as I said, other than the defense attorneys calling them sons of Odin, the only thing close to the name that we have been able to find are soldiers of Odin, which, in which the group aligns with many of the statements the defense counsel made. The soldiers of Odin originated in Finland as a hate group to force out immigrants, and although they claim no political party, their group is known to have connections with and work alongside many far-right politicians. And they've had a lot of scandals where they would claim that they saved this girl from being uh, kidnapped from immigrants and then come to find out they lied about it, and the girl would come out and be like, this never happened. Um, they've been known for getting in a group of people and going out in trucks and jumping and kidnapping immigrants and driving them across the border and dropping them off. And it won't—it'd be a random fucking border. They'd drop them off in like Romania or some shit. It won't even be like their home country. They just don't want them there. Right. And there's, yeah, there's—I mean, there's evidence of this this Odinism, whatever category you want to put it in, whatever group name you want to give it. Having a, a an aggressive, um, yeah, very violent, violent far right ideology, yeah, and, it, and like you said before, it goes all the way back to Vikings. Right. So over time, they've become a white supremacist neo Nazi group and have infiltrated many Western nations, such as the U.S. and Canada. And they're actually very, like, very big in Canada. Many of these members have been discovered to be a part of the Western nations governments and held positions of power. The group incorporated Norse mythology and neo-paganism into their ideology and have been known to carry out vigilante attacks, especially against immigrants. Many chapters have splintered from the core founding group for the racist rhetoric that the core group has said to espouse. However, this same rhetoric that forced the same groups to splinter caused more groups to align themselves more closely with the core founding of the group's ideology. It has been said that since 2016, coinciding with the election of Trump alongside immigration becoming a more hot-button topic in politics has led to their ranks swelling and becoming much more active, especially in North America. Yeah, so, you know, the 
all in all, we take a look at where this this case is at. I mean, it's it's uh, it's gotten to the point of where it's getting very contentious. The there was a bunch of discovery allegedly just dropped on the defense. They've now asked for a specific cover, discovery cutoff date where everything has to be turned over to them by November because there's a trial date in January, and they're saying, hey, if you continue to keep dropping all these documents on us late in the game, we're not going to be able to be prepared, and that's not right. Our client deserves his, his time and be able to put this trial behind him. Um, so they've asked for a discovery cutoff date of no later than November 1st. Why would a court do that? Well, you, know, you need to make it where everybody has, has the evidence and has enough time. Yeah, to, adequate time to prepare. Yeah, to go through it and, and prepare their defense. And if you don't give them a, a date and they keep dropping new things, um, then it, it's and You always have to adjust your defense from the beginning. Well, and it's super – this puts the, the prosecutor in a really tough spot, too, because now there's these allegations that law enforcement has been dishonest. They haven't provided all the evidence that they misled the, the, the court that did the warrant. So now the prosecutor is kind of like, hey, man, make sure I've got everything. You guys did this investigation for six years or four or five years before there was an arrest. We need to make sure we are going back through every notebook, every file, everything you guys did, and make sure we've turned it over to, this, the, to the defense because we don't need uh, sort of creating this culture of deception out there about this case because that undermines the – once you start undermining the credibility of the people that did the investigation, making it look like they hid things, making it look like they didn't investigate what were pretty clear leads to the fullest extent, then that's what you know. That's a that's a good that's a good thing for the defense. You're seeding those those. Um, yeah, it has to be uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, you're seeding uh, angles of doubt, and the more doubt you start seeding in there, then jury's like, all right, you know, is it possible that this was some sort of Odinistic ritualistic killing? Yeah, if they tied Richard Allen to any of that, no. Okay, then we can't say beyond a reasonable doubt he did it. You know? Yeah, I don't know if this was said yet, but. Richard Allen had nothing in his house, in his possession, in his search history. That there's in, not, well, at this point, there's nothing out there that ties him to Well, that. the attorneys say that. They, right, they right, state right. that. So I would assume that know. they've seen that. Right. Uh, but that's also under the assumption that they haven't been given yeah, everything. All the evidence right, out right. There. They haven't even been given it yet from the prosecution. Well, and, and, and you know, you we've you heard throughout that there was some belief that there were multiple people involved. Yeah, this I mean, is, the police themselves have been the ones saying that there's multiple yeah, people involved. And so now you're starting to hear arranging of bodies and, and some ritualistic practices of placing twigs in certain ways yeah yeah and it's um, been back and forth at first it was like there was there we knew something was going on with the bodies the bodies were positioned in a quote-unquote weird way um and then people were jumping to conclusions at that point that maybe there was a sexual assault or something and now it's, right but but then right, but, it might be tied to this well but then the behavior. police were like no 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 it was nothing like that nothing right. like that at all well then it comes Coming out, to light a little bit now and well then there were, it comes to light that an fbi agent saw the bodies and was like this is not normal like something's right. going on with this and then that was kind of brushed under the rug and now this is coming back up again where it's like mm, this maybe can't be brushed under the rug like this is something to really look at right and the 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 uh, interesting thing too there there is even mention of this uh, another person in the jail that supposedly made some statements about um uh, a Witness. knife and a and a unfired firearm being used. Uh, yep. So there's you know that's some that yep. the defense has done that. In the there's another too. one that says that he's witnessing all this stuff that Richard Allen is going through and that it's common for them to be abused in that jail. Yeah. So there's there's all types of stuff going on. A lot of it being mixed up. You know, there'll be a decent amount of stuff that never sees the light of day in, in front of the jury. But a lot of the stuff about the investigation, this alternative theory as to who could have done it. That's going to come in, and and those are problematic 
things for the for for the state. So this is uh, it, this case just keeps getting more and more interesting for yeah, sure. Yeah, it keeps getting more incredulous for sure. As soon as it seems like the defense attorneys are saying something that's unbelievable, they give every reason on why it's believable. Yeah, and and, and a new twist and turn in this, and so. Uh, that's the latest and greatest on the uh, Delphi murder situation down in there in uh, Carroll County, Indiana. There'll definitely be a follow-up. We'll continue to follow up and keep an eye on it. There's so many motions that are pending out there in front of the court right now. you got to remember this is a judge who has her own court and her own caseload in a, and all the way up in Allen County that she has to deal with. And you know, throwing all this stuff in the mix, is it's a lot. It's a lot for a special judge to undertake, so... You know, kudos in terms of having to deal with all of that. But we'll continue to monitor it for all of you and uh, bring you another episode when uh, the material warrants it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pocket Law Talks. See ya.